Hey everyone, welcome to The Survival Show Podcast. I'm David, the founder of Ultimate Survival Tips and your host for today's show. Today we're going to change things up a bit. So here's the backstory. Over the past year or so, some of our most popular podcasts have been on topics not directly related to what most of us traditionally think of when we think of survival or preparedness but on topics that are actually connected. So from time to time, we're going to bring in guests and co-hosts to discuss important and timely topics like the one we're going to get into today. So today, we're going to step into the topic of financial survival in an inflation economy from the angle of how to start a side business and possibly grow it into a full-time income with my good friend, Ben Peterson, the founder of NAFS, that's K-N-A-F-S, which is a new pocket knife brand, and he's the presider over his second wildly successful Kickstarter campaign that's going on right now for his new Lander pocket knife. So today we're going to discuss how to get a master's level business education on someone else's dime. We'll get into the vital importance of doing everything in your life with excellence and how this sets you up for a legacy of success in everything that you do. We'll discuss the difference between a hobby and a side hustle, why having a cadre of mentors and trusted friends is essential to your success as a human being, creator, and entrepreneur. We'll talk about how to reduce business startup risk by developing some smart goals and how and why Ben and I launched our startup gear brands on Kickstarter and how you can too. Then Ben's going to share how he turned a $1,500 investment into what is now the NAFS knife brand with over 25 products by launching one simple MVP, which is a minimum viable product. And before we're all done, we'll take you through five key things to consider before you jump into starting a business or a side hustle, and a lot more. But before we get into all this great content with Ben, would you please help us out by, one, subscribing to this podcast and giving us an honest five-star review wherever you listen. Two, go check out the mothership and home base for this podcast and everything else we do at ultimatesurvivaltips.com. While you're there, you can grab your free subscription to my weekly survival emag, where you'll get tips, tricks, periodic, subscriber-only discounts on my MSK1 knife and tiny survival gear, and chances to win free survival gear, guides, kits, and maybe even an MSK1 knife. Okay, that's it. Subscribe to and review this podcast and go check out ultimatesurvivaltips.com. Thank you guys for your encouragement and support for this podcast and all that we do from the YouTube channel to our MSK1 knife and the tiny survival gear brands. Thank you. Okay, let's get into the show. Ben Peterson, welcome back, brother. Thank you, David. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me back again. Yeah, so I'm not going to call you guest today. You are the guest host, so you are free to uh, help steer us in any direction that you think will be helpful for the folks listening. And uh, yeah, so... I love it. Dude, I thought it was interesting, and uh, as I reviewed previous podcasts, and I think I mentioned this even in the intro, that some, you know, people don't necessarily think of how they make money as a survival thing, but it obviously is, right? No money, no food, no home, you know, roofs over our head. We kind of, you know, become fond of those sorts of things. 
And I found as I looked back through old podcasts and even Ultimate Survival Tips videos that some of our best listened to and viewed content is not even specifically on survival. Um, we've got we've got kind of like some side connected topics like money or how to launch a, a business or uh, PTSD, um, cybersecurity, you know, just certain certain kind of things that you wouldn't our audience might not consider survival or prepper oriented that are really popular and, and with, you know, inflation and all the things that are going on now in the economies of the United States and the world and opportunistically, not necessarily opportunistically, but you, you recently were able to and made the jump to go full time in your own gig that started from a side hustle, as you would put it. And uh, so I thought it was would be a really good conversation to kind of step people through both of our experiences, how you go from being full-time, gainfully employed somewhere else, why you would want to uh, even possibly venture out on your own, you know, extra income, fun, side hustle, and why you might even be able to, or how to turn that into a full-time gig. Yeah. So what do you think? Absolutely. And I think for, for the folks that maybe don't have any idea who this who this guy is, me, on there, what if I give like a 30-second quick backstory and then talk about what's happened over the past month? Would that work? You are such a good communicator. That's why you're my co-host today. <laughs> and Ben, if you don't know Ben, uh, you, I'll let you do the backstory, but we did do a podcast like three or four or five ago on pocket knives. So yeah. go ahead and give a little backstory and then uh, take us up to, you know, even into the context of, uh, of your, your endeavors now, how you kind of like got there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just run through this because in order to talk about the entrepreneurship stuff that my wife and I are doing now, you kind of have to know where I came from. So I studied broadcast journalism and film in school and I got about three quarters of the way through school and I'm like, what am I doing with this? And I ended up going into retail, uh, making videos for a company called Blade HQ. And they sell pocket knives. And I realized, hey, this is actually really fun. There's an industry here. So I kind of dove in with both feet. Dove in. I guess if you're diving, you go ahead first. But uh, anyway, I, I jumped into pocket knives. And I've since spent uh, eight years full-time in pocket knives. And then about after about eight years, I went into, I left pocket knives and went into corporate America for the past two and a half years. And that was kind of a strategic decision on my part to leave pocket knives so I could stay in pocket knives. I had kind of hit the top rung of where I saw myself advancing within pocket knives. I really love the industry. But I also realized like, hey, if sort of my next rung is doing something myself. And so I ended up jumping from Blade HQ to... Uh, corporate America, a company called Pattern, and then another one called Heyday. That's they do Amazon uh, business and Amazon aggregation. They buy companies, sell companies, that sort of thing. It was really a great experience and great tools in my toolkit. And once I left the knife industry, I started a side hustle called NAFS, K-N-A-F-S, NAFS.com. And basically, I had one product, and my goal was to make a hundred dollars a month on one product for a year. And I was like, sweet, this is what NAFS will do. We had this knife poster. And I'm like, you got to start somewhere, $100 a month for for a year I'm in. And we ended up doing it. And and we we I think by the time we were done, it was more than $100 a month for that first 12 months. But 
that was sort of my initial goal. And so my wife and I have been building NAFs on the side for the past three and a half years since 2018, November 2018. And it's gone really well. I've designed a few pocket knives. We're up to about 25 in-house products. We've got about five more coming out this year. And I'm super excited about it. It's been slow growth. It's been steady growth. And we finally, about a month and a half ago, decided to take the jump and take it full time. And so it's been a, a crazy six weeks for us. It's been like hyperspeed, you know, on, on Star Wars where they jump into light speed or whatever. It's just like the stars are flying past our faces. And it's, <laughs> but it's really wonderful. Like, I, I'm loving it. I, I told Athena, my wife, I, I'm like, I am having more fun at work now than I've ever had. And I think part of that is um, emotional for me, like not having to jump in a, a Zoom meeting every hour on the hour and having somebody say, Hey, uh, let me give you five minutes of your time back when a meeting ends early. Like, Oh, that stuff just kind of like ground my gears. And I'm kind of back into doing something that I really enjoy and uh, rocking into it. So sorry, that was more than a 30 second introduction, but a little bit of backstory into kind of where we're going today. Yeah, that's great. I actually, it's going to be after this podcast, but I actually got together with a mutual friend of ours, Joe Flowers, and we talked about everything from from snakes to adventures to martial arts to everything, but we did have, we did talk business a bit too. And one thing that was, is very evident if you, if you know Joe, or if you listen to the, this next podcast coming up, Joe likes to have fun. And that was one thing that he said. And uh, that, that is, that is an important thing to consider there's some other important things we'll consider consider as we go along and we we kind of step you through maybe our paths our our successes and mistakes and all of that my brief story is is that um i have a degree from penn state university in landscape architecture and what's important about that is that what i learned there was design good design is good design Good, um, good thought processes, good systems are good systems. Whether you learn those things to uh, design parks or roads or widgets or uh, electric cars, uh, elegant design, good design processes are really important. So that's what I, that's what I learned there. I did spend uh, several years developing my skills sort of kind of being uh, a right-hand man to several owners of small to mid-sized landscape and design companies. So I I was able to, I guess, sort of kind of through that, learn what owners want and learn the, you know, a lot of good things, what to do. And obviously we always, along the way, when we work for others, we learn how we would do things differently if we have that chance. So move forward from there. Um, move to Vermont. And I spent a year working with a, a really, really good landscape and design company up there. I was sort of kind of mentored by the owner. Uh, after about a year, they were kind of changing direction and things things weren't were fine and we mutually parted ways. I started my own landscape company up there. There were successes and failures up there. Um, Something that Ben and I will talk about as we go. 
I think the season for our family, our kids were younger. And um, I think, I think the chapter of our lives was made that more difficult at that time. And, but we were successful uh, enough to do that. We moved back to Pennsylvania where I, I now live. And I worked for 10 years, kind of with a company of entrepreneuring. I did marketing, advertising, got into video production, developed uh, a lot of their products and, and uh, information products. And at one particular point, after about 10 years, I had, they had really mentored me and allowed me to develop. And I did some consulting for a couple of years, went back for another two years to that same company. And the internet was emerging like really big time. And they wanted me to develop some online educational products, which I did. And out of that, a friend encouraged me to start doing YouTube videos on some something educational. Uh, I call it edutainment, educational, yes. entertaining. And I picked knives. And so I started doing YouTube videos and l- testing some doing some concept testing in 2011 and, and 2012. Now, can you believe it? 10 years ago. Holy um, yeah, yeah. We started with uh, almost exclusively Bear Girls was hot at the time. So I kind of like rode the coattails of Bear Girls, kind of developed a style and a brand and, and an image, which is now Ultimate Survival Tips on YouTube. And then uh, we went from there, developed a knife in started with Jeff Freeman, one of the, I think, arguably one of the best designers in the United States in, in his niche. And uh, we de- developed the MSK1 knife over three years. Uh, a couple years later, started the Tiny Survival line. And that brings us to today. Love it. You have such a fun history, David. It's weird. You know, and and it's there were some plans, but th- this is not where I ended up. I remember when I started, I said, I want no customers and no hassles. <laughs> and, uh, yes. and my wife looks at me every now and again when, you know, somebody, they, they just simply didn't read the instruction manual, right? <laughs> it's like, if the, the they inst- would have read the first paragraph, they would have been fine. <laughs> the instruction manual that you like painstakingly put together. And, right. Like, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 So uh, anyway, so let's just talk about, um, why would people, maybe what kind of person maybe if, and why would, why do you, why did you maybe, maybe it's real. Why did you kind of venture off on your own? What are some suggestions uh, that you could make to people to maybe even determine whether, whether launching a side hustle or maybe even developing an interest or an idea into something that, that people might find valuable? Yeah. So speaking from my experience, I, I've always been a little bit entrepreneurial. I, I got into video production in high school. And one nice. of the things that I started doing was converting friends and families um, like VHSC tapes and like mini DV tapes onto DVD. And okay. that was kind of like my first little business. I probably undercharged. Like I think I was, I was charging like 200 bucks for, I don't know, like probably like 20 hours of work like so i was making like 10 bucks an hour which is a kid you're like hey that's cool as a 15 year old not bad not bad not bad but i like it was it was actually skilled labor so that was kind of my first 
uh, entrepreneurial experience, I kind of learned, oh, my time is valuable. People are willing to pay me for it. Uh, but I sort of have always felt like if you can get an education on somebody else's dime, do it, right? Like, yes, yes. I, I feel really strongly about that because I think there, there are people who really want to like start a business and they just want to jump into something. And I guess I've felt really strongly for me personally to learn by adding value to somebody else's business. Yes, and absolutely. So I graduated from, from college in 2012, 2022. Here we are. And 10 years later, I'm, I'm running my own thing. I basically just took a decade of, of time to do really good work for other people, but kind of decide where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. So I guess my thought is, and one thing I've learned through over, over the past 10 years that just kind of blew my mind is, there are people who have zero interest in entrepreneurship and that's okay. There mm -hmm. are people that want to work a nine to five. They want to punch in, punch out and go home. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And so yes. if that's you don't feel bad that you're like, I have no interest in a side hustle, but if your brain is on fire, I feel like my brain is on fire all the time with these weird ideas. And like, <laughs> like take for instance, the other day I was uh, like wearing a pair of shorts and I'm like, man, Somebody should redesign these pair of shorts. And I'm like, I have no, like oh, zero interest. You can't in turn clothing. it off, can like, you? <laughs> you can't. But if that's what your brain is doing, start writing them down. Start kind of talking to people and say, hey, is, is designing a new pair of shorts that does this a good idea? And if they're like, no, you're dumb. Well, maybe listen to one or two. If everyone's saying, eh maybe that's a good idea or, Hey, that's a great idea. Like, I don't think you have to be validated for your idea to be a good idea, but getting outside opinions is really important to what you're going to do. So anyway, that was kind of a rambly answer, but I, I think for me, the reason I started a side hustle, the reason I've started a business is there's this inextinguishable fire inside of me that has to go somewhere. It has to be given life. And I, what I was finding is when I worked in for other other people, I was kind of taking those ideas and that fire and applying it to their businesses. And, and we saw really cool things from it. But at the end of the day, you're putting money in somebody else's piggy bank. And there's literally nothing wrong with that. That is the agreement between employer and employee is you do work. I put some money in your piggy bank. You put more money in my, my piggy bank. But if that bothers you, if if that doesn't satisfy something inside of you, you might look into entrepreneurship and you might start saying, okay, where am I now? If I wanted to start a business, what would I need to do? How long would it take? And be deliberate about exploring the idea of entrepreneurship. So there's my hot take, David. Ben, that was an excellent, very excellent commentary. I, I have just about literally nothing to add except that to amplify any, anything that you've said. And one thing I heard you say, and, and this is actually biblical, I think it's in uh, Colossians in the New Testament, do everything with excellence. And of course the Bible verse ends with as unto the Lord. And so if you do everything with excellence and you you literally are making, I learned early on, if I make my job, my if I accomplish my boss's goals and I make my, my, now some of you may not have good bosses. I, I get that. 
um, maybe it's time for you to fix your job situation, right? But if I make my if I make a good boss's job easier, I I help them accomplish their goals. I do a good job. I innovate within my my influence. Sometimes I go outside of my influence and current influence. And and I mean, the company I had I had worked for a uh, Inc. 100 company for many years. They were great to train me, and they hired. They literally hired me as a bottom. And this was after I had the landscape company in Vermont. They originally thought they would put me in their computer software development. But when I met with them, I had a little portfolio of landscape designs and I had some just marketing I had together for my landscape business. And they looked at that and they said, let's put you in marketing. I didn't know I was using CorelDRAW at the time, way back in the day. I didn't know Photoshop. I didn't know uh, it was PageMaker back then before it was InDesign. And they they literally threw me in with this like eight graphic designers that were basically looking at me going, why are you here? (laughs) I love it. You know, they eventually took me under their wing. They assigned the most experienced person with the program, the programs they used and their concepts to mentor me into the software. And I spent extra hours doing that. Eventually I started fixing copy for them and they're like, Oh, that's pretty good. You want to write this copy and write that, you know, just kind of like building building the portfolio within the business. And, you know, before I knew it, I, they had me being an entrepreneur. They would, and kind of like how you were with CRKT, how you were with Blade HQ, like come to them with an idea. And eventually they come to you and say, Hey, we'd sort of kind of like to achieve this goal. What do we have at our disposal or what can we do to, to do that? Or what ideas do you have? And so you do just that. So basically, I think what we're saying, Ben, is start where you're at. And yeah, well, and, and David, right? I think something you just said really resonates with me is I put extra time into it. And oh my gosh, I, I think what I what I realized is so like working at Blade HQ, working at CRKT. I mean, in the evenings, I was I was like building CRKT's Instagram account from the grounds ground up. Um, I, I talked him into starting an Instagram account and I was like, we are going to make this a success. And by the time I left, I think we were up to like 60,000 followers or something on Instagram, like some absurd number, which uh, that's not to pat myself on the back. Like that was my blood, sweat and tears. Like every single follower there was like me in the evenings after the kids went to bed, learning Instagram, responding to comments. Like, I think if you are interested in entrepreneurship, you probably need to look and say, am I spending extra time in my current employment? And if you're not, that's okay. Again, the nine to fivers, like, gotta love them. Like they get stuff done. Yeah. But if you're already spending extra time learning PageMaker, which, which I love that it was PageMaker. We we built the high school yearbook on that, David, which was great. Um, (laughs) That dates, that dates me. (laughs) <laughs> it, it does, and it, it probably dates me just a hair as well. But uh, but if that's what you're doing in your free time, and you're doing it for your employer, get that education, and then take it with you where you go. Yes. Um, and maybe yes. maybe your next move is is into entrepreneurship. Maybe it's I, I have this philosophy within business. If you're working for somebody else, you should probably be moving up or moving out within two to three years. 
Yes, and that's, that's really not good. for everybody. Yep. But uh, it worked really well for me because I realized about two, three years into a job, it w- was just a job. It wasn't like the the learning curve was starting to flatten. And mm-hmm. so for me, it was like I need to either move up in my position in something that makes more money or um, gives me more opportunity. Both is the hope. Uh, both, or yep. I need to move out. And most times I moved out. And so I, I think that's, for me, that was sort of the staircase toward, all right, um, now I'm ready to run my own thing. So, Yep. And I I had known you through about two thirds of that journey. And I remember us, yeah. you know, going out to dinner at, at SHOT Show and, you know, just having these conversations too about, you know, different thoughts you were having. You were very intentional about your personal development is, is my takeaway. And the other thing is uh, taking ownership where you're at. And I think that goes, what whether entrepreneurial life is or a side hustle is something for you now or not, you know, do the best, be the best whatever that you can, be the best welder, be the best ditch digger, be the best computer programmer, be the best gardener, whatever it is. Um, you know, take ownership. I just makes me think of Jocko Willock's great book, Extreme Ownership on that. Um, I love that book. But that, I, I think, uh, I think yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah, go ahead. Um, oh, I was just going to say just, just that concept of I- extreme ownership of over your life and yes. just saying, you know, yes. like, and, and I think sometimes I, I've watched people that I've mentored as their boss kind of get stuck in a rut where they're like, I do a good job, but I would always ask them the question, what do you want out of this? What do you want out of your next job? And I think that career-wise, people have to be thinking about that. Or they're just going, they're going to wake up 20 years from now and be like, wow, I have been working for the IRS for 20 years. Is that what I wanted? And if it is, yes, perfect. But if it's not, like, that's the conversation you have to have with with yourself and kind of your your group of of mentors and say, what should I be doing with my life? How do I how do I achieve my greatest potential? And that might be working at the IRS for 20 years. No judgment. Like, that's great. But is that what you really want? And I think that's the question you got to ask. I think you just touched, man, you just touched on a huge, a huge item. And I'm not, I can't, I can't leave us past this by. Um, abs- absolutely essential to my personal development, my spiritual development as a, as a Christian as a father uh, and, and my business development has been uh, developing, being a friend, um, looking for people to disciple me, to mentor me, uh, doing likewise for other people and finding kind of like a core group. Like I've got, and Ben, you're actually in, you're actually in this group. You know, you know that I reach out to you quite frequently when yeah. I have a crazy idea or whatever. And um, so I have, I'm going to say like six, seven, maybe up to 10, depending on what, what the question is, what the situation is, what the life thought is that I, I trust. Like when they say something, I listen, 
Like I go to them and I'm like, I don't know if this is a good idea. I don't know if it's a bad word. Here's my, you know, I don't want to pitch you on this, but here's the pitch. What do you think? Well, David, ah, I don't know. You've done that a few times. Ah, David, I don't, I don't know. Have you thought about this? You're so nice when you do it. But I think it's really, really important, whether a young person or your midlife or a little bit older like me, to really surround yourself and look for your people. And it and it's really lean on them because we all have blind spots and you know, my kind of that that you know, mighty mighty men, mighty ten men uh, group, they really have a diverse skill sets and uh life experiences that I trust. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah, well I, I think mentorship is just so, so critical and, and I, I talked about getting an education on somebody else's dime. I, yeah. I, I, obviously you don't, you don't abuse a mentor. You're not like hitting them up every hour. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? But literally there, there are people that I come back to every, I don't know, six, six to 12 months. And I say, what do you think about this? And there are other mm-hmm. people that I'm hitting up probably on a monthly basis and saying, Hey, what do you think about this? And so I almost, I, I'd almost call it like two tiers of, of mentorship, and there, there's tier one where these are people that like, I have a friend named TJ Swartz. He designs knives up in Idaho and makes them. He, he just has a brilliant engineering mind. And so, and he, he has a sense of kind of what I'm doing with my business. He's, he's sort of been there since the beginning. And so when I say, TJ, what do you think about this? Like, we're, we just bought a laser engraver yesterday. And I'm like, TJ, what do you think about laser engraving? And he'll be like, well, Ben, look, these models cost this much and you can do this and you can do that. And he's just a really, really good resource for that kind of thing. But then there are other times when, so I would call that like tier one, almost operational mentorship. Uh, but then there's there's mm-hmm. more like tier two mentorship. And these are, these are people that um, I'll kind of consult with when I'm making not day-to-day decisions, but sort of these big strategy questions and things. So one of those, um, you, I don't know if you know Doug or not, but Doug Flagg over at CRKT, super good guy. He worked at Kershaw, basically was the guy that discovered Ken Onion behind the scenes uh, when he was at mm, Kershaw and then okay. moved to CRKT. Um, Doug got an MBA. And um, so when I was deciding whether to do an MBA or not, I went to Doug Flagg and I'm like, Doug, what, is, what should I do here? You kind of know where my career is going, you know where I've been what should I do with this? And he's like, look, if you want to run your own business, you don't need an MBA. He said, if you want to run somebody else's business, you're probably going to need it to unlock corporate doors. And that stuck with me. And I'm like, wow. Mm. The other thing he said is I I got, he he has an MBA and he's like, I got my MBA and uh, it, it made me risk averse because I think, I think Doug has all the potential to run his own business, but he never did it. And so him saying that kind of from his experience and like, Hey, here's kind of how I see it. And obviously I talked to 12 other people about MBAs, but that was one of the things that really helped me solidify the decision not to do an MBA. I I had paid the seat. Like it was like an $800 seat fee and everything. You were, Um, you had started on that path. I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I was, I was planning to do it and literally I'd paid the fee, started doing like a pre-math course and I'm like, what am I doing? I hate this. <laughs> and, and that's kind of what I did some soul searching because I, 
and and I guess one of the things that I want to just point out, not just from my experience, but if you hate it, take a second and look at it and say, is this what I want? I did not want an MBA. Like I sat down and wrote down all the reasons I wanted an MBA and the reasons were terrible. I didn't like them. And so I bailed on the program. I lost my 800 bucks, but I would rather lose 800 bucks than 65 grand getting an MBA that I, I'm not interested in. It's not going to get me up life. in the morning. And two years of your life. And I, so I think one thing that sometimes people come to me and they'll say, hey, Ben, I've got this business idea. And my question for them is pretty simple. But the, the question is, will this get you out of bed at 5 a.m. or will it keep you up till 1 a.m.? And if the answer is no, you'd better find a different idea because if you're going to side hustle it, you're going to do it between the hours of five and nine or five and midnight, you know? And so you, you'd better figure out, is it worth it to me? Is this going to get me out of bed and, and make me do this thing? So anyway, long and rambling, David, but you get the idea of like, you have to have fire to be able to start something and make it work. So, Excellent. Let's just talk briefly about, I think life stages are important. Um, I know, I know for me, as I, as I had mentioned earlier, there was, I think I always had a desire to have my own business. It was just, it was, it was there, but I realized at certain stages that I needed, um, that I needed some course corrections and I needed some more training. For instance, as I mentioned, when I started a landscape company, I had all the mechanics. I, w- I had helped develop several other landscape companies and, you know, done design and, and, you know, managed mowing teams and landscape teams and, and all of that. So I had the kind of like the inner workings, but the season of life didn't, it, it just didn't, didn't work out as good. So then I went into kind of like a learning mentoring entrepreneurship of a a whole decade, which I learned just a huge amount of, you know, marketing and business skills and, and uh, production skills and product development skills and, and all of those things. And then as our kids were older at that particular time, um, it just started to be like, Hey, I can, I can do this like the, the, and what you just said, you're either going to work on your business from 5am to 9am in the morning or, or the same thing or similar at night. Right. Cause it, it does take time. We, we don't want to lead anybody down, down the wrong path, but it does take time if, if you want it, you know, if you really want it. And, and our, my life phase was right then. And so I was able to take the time and explore things, and I still had I still had my job. I had a couple of uh, not very demanding uh, business consulting clients, and and so the whole first year of what eventually became Ultimate Survival Tips was a series of experimenting with different online ideas until I a friend basically badgered me for two months that I needed to get on this new thing called YouTube, which, you know, was, you know, 2011, it was, it was, you know, just pretty much emerging. Uh, So anyway, life phase was really important for me. 
And, you know, those 10 years where I did work, I probably, instead of eight hour days, I probably averaged nine hour days, nine and a half hour days. And, but when I left work, I left work, right? And I was able to serve my family well. So maybe from your aspect, what, what amazing wisdom, because you're just like flowing with really concise, amazing wisdom today. Do you have on kind of like life stage or timing? Yeah, I, I think timing is so critical it just to anything, right? I, I think if I had had my druthers, I would have started a business you know, six or seven years ago um, when I had two little kids. And I, I just, I, I felt that, that impulse a long time ago. But I, I sort of like fire without skills is not useful. And the reality was I, I had some skills, but I didn't have any true business skills. And so I, in fact, I was just remembering this at Blade Show, probably like 2014 or 15, I approached a friend and I was like, dude, let's do a thing. Let's start a business. Let's go full time. And, and he was wiser than me. He's like, neither one of us is ready for this. (laughs) And like, what a, what a deflating thing, but I'm grateful that I, I took the time to get the education within other people's companies. I one of the one of the principles of timing for me has been how many steps into the dark are you taking? And so for me, um, just understanding like a profit and loss statement, understanding a balance sheet, understanding. Uh, how do, how do you work with a manufacturer and pricing and all of these things? I feel like I've I'm constantly stepping two steps into the dark, and that's when I know that the timing is right because it's pushing me. It's aggressive, but it's not ten steps into the dark. If you don't know how to read a P and L, well, you may need to like watch a QuickBooks tutorial and learn what a P and L is before that you decide to start a business and have a profit profit and loss balance sheet be the lifeblood of of what you're doing. And so that's kind of my gauge of timing is how many steps into the dark am I into the education dark am I taking? And for me, uh, when I first seven or eight years ago, when I first wanted to do something, it would have been like 40 steps into the dark into like a, a vertical mine shaft. Like I just didn't know what I was doing. And I'm I'm grateful that life didn't allow me to take those steps forward at the time because I, I think I would have failed, which is not a bad thing. Like failure is not bad. But also when you've got two kids, failure can be bad. Like you can lose houses, you can lose things that make your family exist. And I don't think I'd really thought through that. So this time around, um, in terms of timing for me, my wife and I had saved up a year's worth of savings. We had saved up uh, a year's worth of cash on hand for our business, and I was working in a really cushy job in corporate America. And what I realized is I could legitimately take our business full time without and have a one-year runway and be able to make that work. So I, I think if you're serious about this, you've got to look at where am I now and where do I want to be? I wanted to be self-employed. We've scrimped, saved, 
uh, like been on a budget. I was going to talk a little bit about budgeting. If you're not on a budget, you should be. Um, there are some great tools. We used Mint for about 10 years, mint.com. And then we just switched over to YNAB. You need a budget um, a couple months ago. And we're still figuring that one out. But our goal was to be self-employed. And so if that is your goal, what are the intermediate steps to hit that goal? And so when you talk about timing, I think you can create timing. I think you can definitely dive in and bend the world to your will a little bit. But you have to be deliberate about it. And you have to say, this is what I want. And here's kind of a time frame for when I'd like to have it. And, and I think you talk about God, you talk about your desires. I think when you start lining those things up, that's where magic happens. When you say, hey, this is a righteous desire. This is something that will help the world be a better place. I think God shows up for that. And I think when you show up for that, that's when magic happens. And maybe you don't end up in exactly where you want it to be. But you'll have amazing experiences along the way. So another long rambling answer, David, but as far as timing, uh, that's kind of been my, my path. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. That's great, Ben. So I like this whole concept of. Uh, you had sent some bullet points here, three degrees of discomfort building out from the light of what you know into the dark of what you don't. And I, I see this as everything that you're saying is mitigating risk, right? Yeah. Um, one thing that I did, I was, I was able to do in my first it, actually, it was not my, it was not my first business. I I have I have started probably four or five companies until we landed on Ultimate Survival Tips. None of the other ones exist. Ultimate Survival Tips still does. Uh, praise the Lord. Um, just want to say that like it, it hasn't been a perfect journey, but every level like we didn't lose our house. We we didn't you know we weren't living opulently, but there were risk mitigation things and an interesting thing that some people have access to now. I, I remember in, in the landscape industry, depending on where you work, at least in the Northeastern part of the United States, oftentimes companies have a layoff season of, you know, maybe three to four months, depending on where you are. So one particular season I was laid off and I'd spent those three or four months uh, you know, it was just a seasonal layoff. So, you know, it was basically, hey, I got paid whatever unemployment there was. And I had three or four months to do business development to start building uh, whatever whatever the business was, right? So that was that was one way that I was able to, you know, in my special circumstance, you know, see an opportunity where there was a provision and take some steps towards, you know, what ultimately became a business. So this three Love degrees it. of discomfort, was there anything more that you wanted to say about that? 
No, I, I kind of touched on that already. I think that okay. um, if you're going to learn, like learning is not comfortable. Like you're going to do things wrong. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, I, I look at half half my product portfolio right now is probably somewhere in the mistake category, you know, and, and that's okay. Like I've learned a lot in the next, the next 12 products I think are, are building on the backs of what I've already created. So, but I, I think if you're not, if you're not comfortable with being uncomfortable, running your own business may not be for you. Uh, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But yep. yeah, I, cool. I think yep. kind of touching on my next point is, is that risk tolerance too, because when you step into the dark, it's risky. You, you might trip and fall. And so I think if you're going to run your own thing, you've got to be willing to assess what, what am I willing to risk? Um, For me, we put, we put $1,500 in the stock market like 10 years ago. And that was our, we had like a little bit of savings that we sort of scrimped and saved. And so we were contributing to the 401k and we had a few dollars just kind of kicking around that we wanted to be semi-liquid. And we took that $1,500 and I like sort of just dumped it into a single stock, um, a steel company, in fact, or uh, yeah, a steel company. And it doubled in, in like three or four years. And I was like, cool, $1,500. Now I have 3000 What What do I do? And that was the seed money for my first product to the the knife poster that we made it was a $3,000 run of posters. And, and literally I told my wife like, Hey, we're spending this and we may never sell these posters. Like it, it might be gone forever. And that like $3,000 is nothing to sneeze at. And even at the time it was, it was more money than, than I cared to ever lose. But I was also like, I have to do this. And so that was a step into the dark. That was a financial step into a place I'd never been, uh, buying my own products with my own money. And it worked. And, and we doubled the money. We doubled the 3000 We doubled the 6000 and And now we're in a cash positive place where we actually are paying ourselves, which uh, I, I, when we started making money on the business, I said to a friend, I was like, hey, I've got extra cash. Like, what do I do with this? And he's like, Ben you should try paying yourself. And I was like, no, well, that's taken from the business. <laughs> it's, it's like, of course it is. Like, but, but like when you have that mentality of like, I will scrimp and save and will this breathe breath into this thing. You don't think about taking money from your business, right? Like that's, that's your lifeblood. And it, it, him saying that he's a super like frugal, intelligent dude. He's like, Ben, you, you pay yourself if you have extra money. And I think that was a big realization for me is like the cash that you've acquired should start to go back into your pocket and back into your business. And uh, so anyway, when you, when you talk about walking into the dark, it's, it's about risk and how much risk are you willing to take? And in what degrees, I mean, I look at some of the big bets that some of these huge companies make and I'm like, wow, you just, that's a $500 million investment. Or, or if you're taking venture capital money, like you can take somebody's millions of dollars, but like what risk is there that you're going to be able to pay them back? Right? Like those are the things you got to think about. And, and as a business owner, and I'm a super small business owner getting off the ground, we're a startup 100%, but also we have taken risks and uh, like literally three weeks ago, we spent the most money on product that we've ever spent. 
And it's terrifying to watch double digit money go out for a deposit on product. Uh, sorry, double digit tens of thousands money. But that to me is like, all right, we've taken the the $1,500 risk and the $3,000 risk. Let's take the $40,000, $50,000 risk and see how it goes. And that's terrifying. But as you go, you build up your risk tolerance and the dark becomes light as you walk into it. That doesn't mean you won't trip. But those risks that you took walking into the dark mean that you understand the terrain now. You understand the risk and you understand what might happen. And you you also understand that as you walk into that dark place, the light becomes more apparent. And so that's kind of how I've approached it is risk stacking, I guess, and and sort of taking what I know and, and moving into what I don't. Excellent. So let's just go down through, let's just try and I think we've done a lot of uh, kind of prep work here and, and shared a lot of, I think, great things with people. I'm just going to run down through a couple of things. Like, let's just say you're listening now and you're like, hmm, I do have some ideas. There's some some things that have been percolating. I sketch things and throw them in a folder. I mean, before I ever started my first business, I probably had you know, 10 or 15 crazy businesses and had bought 20 domain names that I never used, right? <laughs> because that, that's what you did back then. Um, and so I'm going to just start off on kind of like a list of like, how do you decide what you want to do? So, and th- these are like super general. And then I'd really, I'd like to get into, you and I both launched our product businesses on Kickstarter. And I think some people would be interested in, in, learning a little bit about that. And in fact, you have another successful, I think it's your second or third successful Kickstarter that's actually still running right now as we record this podcast. So um, you're like way over your goal, right? Yeah, we we have a Kickstarter running right now that will, um, it ends, I think in three days, four days. And yeah, we've, we've raised over $75,000 from over a thousand backers. And that to me is like proof of concept. Whatever we're doing is, is working, which is, is super cool. But yeah, it's, which is what I love about Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's humbling. It's humbling to see so many people like line up and be like, yes, take my money. Yep. So we'll get into that in a couple of seconds here, but let's just say like, you're like, yeah, you know, I think it's, I think the season of my life is right. I've got some experiences. I've done things with excellence. I've got some some knowledge, skill, you know, business sense, all of that. Just a couple of general things, and I'm sure you'll you'll wrap right into this and come up with some really good stuff. So I, I would I would ask myself the question, uh, you know, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? What product, idea, service can you offer that has some sort of a demand or you can think of a way to release it to the world in a different way with, from a different angle with a different spin. Um, and what do other people say you're good at? Like, what would you enjoy and what would people, what do you think people would, would be interested in or buy and like you said, you know, it's trade their money, their hard earned money to, for your service, for your idea, for your app, for your product. Yeah. I love that. And I think maybe I'd, I'd add to that too. Um, 
what are you good at? But, um, but also what do you know? You know, like if, if you're a computer programmer, well, that's, that's a tool in your toolkit. If you're a farmer, well, maybe, maybe you understand rain cycles and, and seeds, but you want to be an app developer. Well, shoot, do farming apps, right? Like take what you know and move, move a couple degrees beyond that. And I I think Mm, that's an important mm. part of it too. That's really good. Having, I don't know if our podcast audience knows this, but producer Ben, my son and I started a, a uh, organic farm. And so if, if you know farming and you're a programmer, there aren't very many good farming apps out there for our for our uh, startup farm. <laughs> just just letting you know. Yeah, I, like, that might be your first. Like how, how much your first how much customer. water? Yeah, how much water should I be giving these these soybeans? You know, like and granted, I'm sure there's stuff out there, but take what you know and move a couple degrees past that. Like what what do you know? Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, build on stand on the shoulders of people who have done great things before too. Like you don't have to start this thing all over. Um, Look at what's out there and do it different. There's, I can't tell you how many people that I've said, I think you might be ready to be considering a business. You know, what do you want to do? Well, I'd like to write a book. Well, what do you want to write a book on? Well, man, I really know this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, that's different. And and then they end with like, but there's so many books on that topic, right? There's so many YouTube videos on that. There's so many knives in the world, but it's about your story. It's about, you know, mitigating your risk. It's about doing your research, getting all the things that we've talked about, having your group of mentors, uh, people that you trust. And the fact that what you want to do, there's that there's a lot of that. There's a lot of books on health, food, or whatever. Or there's a lot of knives. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of knives and makers out there. But the fact that there are means that there's a demand for it, right? Yes. So, so don't don't let that. I guess that self speak. We're always we're always talking to ourselves. There's always this voice in our head speaking to ourselves. Don't listen to that. If you feel like it's time for you to be ready, figure it out. Um, yeah. Talk to people that a, you trust. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a film professor in college, uh, John Smith down at Southern Utah University. And when it came to film, he said, look, there's going to be so many movies out there. And if you're comparing yourself to the latest summer blockbuster, you're never going to release a movie. But the the thing that he said is making movies is like a parade, you're going to have these huge multi-million dollar floats going down the road. You're going to have like kids on bicycles decorated with streamers going down the road. You're going to have clowns on unicycles and you're going to have like the, the farmer with the tractor pulling the kids on hay bales. Like everybody's on the same street, going down the same street in the same parade. And I think the biggest thing that he said was show up to the parade, put your thing out there. So if you're the, the farmer's app and there's 10 other apps out there well shoot make yours as best you can and show up to the parade put your put your clown hat on ride your unicycle and show up to the parade and chances are there's somebody watching that parade that will be like hey hey that's a funny clown i want to know more about that clown right but if you don't show up to the parade you you don't win You, you you lose by not showing up 
And so that, that was his concept with film, but I think it applies to entrepreneurship too, is, is you might be the goofiest clown in the parade, but you showed up to the parade and you're riding the same route as the multimillion dollar floats that show up every year. Um, you get your chance to be in the parade as well. So make sure you show up to the parade. I think that's one of the big things I've taken. That's great. I may remember that analogy forever, Ben. Oh, John Smith. It wasn't mine. John Smith. John. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk a little bit about Kickstarter and why, why you and I have actually, you know, decided the, the major parts of our product brands launch on Kickstarter. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll even skim through some, some tips, how, you know, what people need to, to kind of do to decrease the risk of failure and increase the risk of, of, uh, you know, being in the parade and having some people notice and say, Hey, I think I might like that. Yeah. I, I think first of all, David, it's your fault. I do Kickstarter. You, you were like, Ben, let's do some consulting. Let me have you do some consulting. So I did some consulting for you on Kickstarter probably like, like four years ago. And, and you, you raised a heap ton of money. I don't remember how much it was, but, uh, with your MSK one. And I was like, that's cool because I I'd seen like conceptually what you were doing, but I was like, he doesn't, he doesn't even have it ready entirely to go. And he's made all this money that allows him to keep going with it. And that, I think that's one of the coolest things about Kickstarter is it allows you to bring an idea to life and see if it flies and like that that proof of concept is so, so critical. If you can work out kinks before it goes to market, if you can figure out people's feedback beforehand, like that's, that's a big deal. So it, this is your fault, David. I'm just going to lay blame where it lands. So that's awesome. Glad, glad to have that be my fault because it, you know, brings me gratification <laughs> to see you moving in a direction that makes you happy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So kick Kickstarter is a big parade, right? And it's a big parade Huge. that goes, goes by people who are interested in innovative new products and ideas and concepts, right? So, so Kickstarter, as you said, it gives you the ability to prove, prove a concept without even having to have incurred a lot of risk to do so. So, you know, the yeah. world, like I always say, the world will tell you if, they, if what you want to offer on Kickstarter is what they want. And yes, exactly. That 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 just, I mean, in years, you know, in the past, before Kickstarter, you used to have to convince somebody who had a lot of money to invest in your in your idea. Usually, um, find you know, give away part of your company, maybe even a lot of it, and and uh, you know, or mortgage your second mortgage, your house, sell all, you know, just put yourself at enormous risk and Kickstarter really mitigates a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. One so, thing I want to point like out the, though, David, yeah, if ahead. I can, let me, cause yeah, yeah. It, it mitigates risk, but I just pulled up some stats here. I'm, I'm in front of my computer. Um, so let's see, 15% of our pledges have come from Instagram. Uh, 26. Mm-hmm. So with YouTube, 26% total. So more than a quarter of our revenue raised has come from existing channels that we had 
created already. And so I think one thing for to for people to keep in mind is Kickstarter is about eyeballs and there are eyeballs of people yeah. who who are on Kickstarter but it has to be part of a bigger strategy where you say look this first Kickstarter like I don't have any eyeballs like I don't have a social following I don't have an email list there's no web traffic like we may like 1500 bucks may be a stretch on Kickstarter because all the eyeballs that I have are like my Facebook page with my 500 friends and Kickstarter, whatever I get from there. So it might be, Hey, $1,500 is a a swell goal. So I I think when you think about a business, you've got to think about who are my customers and are we talking already? Is it, has a relationship happened? Um, If you're a farmer, I I keep coming back to this farmer thing, but it's going to work here. Farmer that wants to make an app will, how many farmer friends do you have? What about the guy at the feed store? What about um, all of your suppliers that you're buying your stuff from? Those are part of your network, but how big is it? And if they all give a dollar a piece, is that enough to hit your goal? So I think you have to look at Kickstarter as you can't just create it and dump it out there. There's too many. It's too big. You have to think about it in terms of, okay, I want to make the Farmer's Almanac app and I know 20 people. Well, maybe I need to shoot for like a $500 initial investment. And that's a lot for where, where I'm at, right? Um, so Kickstarter doesn't, it's not magic. It, it's part of a bigger strategy. Right, right, right. That's a really good point. And it may be, maybe Kickstarter is your uh, $1,500 investment, right? So yep. So maybe, maybe your goal is $1,500, on Kickstarter, maybe your goal is five hundred dollars, and your stretch goal is you know a thousand fifteen hundred dollars. Can is it viable profit and loss for you in the time that's invested in that first Kickstarter to to take your profit profits from that, reinvest them potentially in another Kickstarter, um, continue to build your Kickstarter audience, and side by side maybe develop an Instagram page, um, but. Before you launch, let's let's just talk about that. I I have what I call David's Kickstarter success plan. All right, so I I think some of the things that we're going to talk about here are very viable, and this is just specifically Kickstarter. It's not the only way to start a business, and I think that's what you're saying. Maybe maybe your audience, maybe you worked in the, uh, maybe you were a consultant for the farm industry. Maybe you were born a farmer and you know thousands of, of farmers in your region because you and your father were heavily involved in those organizations. Maybe that's where you start with whatever your new thing or your service or your, you know, your business that fulfills an, an existing need. Uh, maybe that's where it comes from. But specifically with Kickstarter, here's a couple. I'll just, I'm just going to buzz right through these, Ben, and you can throw in whatever you whatever you want before you launch. I think you need a team. It's pretty hard to do Kickstarter. I think maybe you did this last Kickstarter and yours largely on your own. Um, even my, my first Kickstarter, Ben helped me out. I, he, he actually, some of the core concepts that, that came out with the MSK one knife, uh, Ben helped me. You actually developed, remember you developed sort of kind of like a mini, a mini script and, and the way yeah. that you said things and presented things, those ended up being part of 
uh, part of what the MSK-1 is and how we communicated that. And then Ben Ben was available to shoot some uh, video and consult on that initial Kickstarter. So I did not do that alone. Um, and I had another friend who's very, uh, very capable and intuitive um, advertiser, marketer, social media developer. And he and I spent, we locked ourselves in a cabin on a Christian camp and literally banged out the, the whole Kickstarter campaign, less the video and, and the, kick, the, the Kickstarter page and the rewards and all of that in a three-day period. Um, and we didn't leave until it was done. So I, I, I didn't do it alone. So I, I think you yeah. need a team. Yeah, I, I definitely think you need a team. And it, it, for me, this last one, I had a photographer do a bunch of work for me. And then my wife is part of my team. She's 50% in the business, uh, owner of the business. And um, so, I, I mean, we were up till midnight a couple nights figuring out shipping, um, international shipping. Like, how do we make this work? And did we get all the shipping profiles right? And are we, are we uh, mm -hmm. charging enough with the Kickstarter to get the shipping? Because uh, one of the things that can sink a Kickstarter is, is shipping. And I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. We got it right with international, but we might take a loss on some, we might make a little bit on others, but that's part of the game. And I, I agree completely that you have to have a team, even if, so like we, we have over a thousand backers on this Kickstarter. Like if you've ever shipped a thousand orders, like you're going to hate your life if it's just you, because it's going to take you a month. Like there's no amount of money that will make you happy mm -hmm. if you're shipping a thousand orders by yourself and you've never done it before. Mm -hmm. So finding people. And, and one thing about Kickstarter is you'll get a, you'll get a billion people coming to you and saying, Hey, I can blow up your Kickstarter for 3% of your profits or, or whatever. I, I just kind of delete it. those. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are yeah. some people that are probably useful. I just, I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't know you, like, don't know who you are. Don't know what you're doing. And I, I think that's an important part of business is like relationships are so, so critical. And so when somebody comes to me and says, I'm going to 10 X your Kickstarter for you, it's like, what was your name again? Like you, you have to have people on your team that you trust and that you've planned and, and worked with. I don't think it's wise to just uh, hire anybody who shows up. Uh, some statistical data from uh, CrowdReach campaigns with two or more people involved raise more than 80% more than those who don't. Uh, next thing is prepare well. Take as much time as you need to prepare and achieve your objectives uh, for the campaign. I, I think we're both in agreement on that. Yep. Yep. And you can you can push back deadlines too. I mean, you it takes like a week to get approved right. on Kickstarter once you've got everything ready to go. So you've got all of your content built, all of your shipping profiles up. You've got to submit it to Kickstarter and it's going to add another week. So I don't know, everyone I've talked to, they're like, I am launching on June 15th. Well, July 1st, they're like, eh, maybe we launch on July 15th. You know, it just takes time. <laughs> right, right. It does. It's, it's a big, big project because you're not only creating content project. and telling a story, you are thinking about all the back-end logistics. How am I going to ship this? What do I ship it in? Um, all of those things before you ever hit the go button. So definitely do your homework beforehand. Yep. Uh, point number three on before the launch, uh, 
goes right into your point that Kickstarter is just not a magic wand that you wave. Build a subscriber list before you launch. And uh, some data that I have here, average list side of top campaigns is 6,000 or more. So if you have a dream, if you have a vision, um, you know, just start building a list. Uh, Start a business, start a Facebook business page. Um, You know, pre... Let me tell you this. If you have an idea and your idea needs to be prototyped and it is like a product, something that would be Kickstarter worthy, you're going to have some time. So, you know, start with those that are our closest. Start with your immediate circle of of friends and family and build out your list from there. Do some social media things, Instagram, whatever, even TikTok, whatever, whatever works for you. And, uh, you know, see if you can get a launch team together, see if you can get, um, you know, bring some people to the table at Kickstarter. What did you say about 30% or 35% of your, of your Kickstarter, uh, people are from Kickstarter, right? Yeah. So 22% are, well, actually, let's see, hang on. I'm just looking at, looking at data and I, I love data a ton. So 22% is direct traffic, no refer information. So they went straight to Kickstarter and and did it. Um, so, but I mean, when you look at the number of, of overall pledges, social media has been critical. Our website has been critical. Email has been critical. Um, yep. So yeah, only 10% has come from search on Kickstarter. Really? Uh, okay. Money pledged. Yeah. So Interesting. Take that Interesting. for what you will. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't have any basis to compare it to, but that feels low to me. Um, and I suspect that's about a hundred mm-hmm. pledges. I suspect those hundred people came from my channels, searched for us on Kickstarter and found us. I don't think, don't think that was an organic find from Kickstarter. Interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, yeah. I think in both of our campaigns, we were 30 to 35% came from Kickstarter, Kickstarter specifically. So interesting. Uh, that's point awesome. number four is uh, success can cost money. Now this can be dollars or it can be time. And for me, it was, I didn't have, you know, we developed our video project over time. Of course we did have, we were able to leverage our YouTube channel and my son and I uh, being able to do the videography and, and Ben's help and the help and con- consultation of some other people. So, so the cost to us was leveraging our existing platforms and investing about 45 to 60 days pre and post Kickstarter and two years of prototyping with Jeff Freeman on the knife. Um, so, you know, there wasn't necessarily money out of pocket, but it was time. And, you know, depending on what your situation time is, is money. And depending on what your goals are, you know, it's going to take time or money, money or a little bit of both. Yeah. And it's, it's worth noting too, that Kickstarter requires you to have a prototype, like a working prototype. Cause they've, they've yes. had a lot of campaigns that really got burned and uh, backers that got burned. So they require a working prototype. So during the campaign, and I think this is actually before the launch, Kickstarter is predominantly, well, it's all product oriented, right? Your, your backers, uh, back technically they're buying but they're not buying they're backing your your campaign they believe in you so there's something that they get in return normally and so 
I think it's essential that you have an epic product. Like it's, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be something that, uh, you know, has certain characteristics of, of being a unique spin on something. And Ben, I love your new knife. I love this whole interchangeable handle thing. You really, you, you had, I believe that with your existing knives, you had kind of played with that concept and found that people love these kind of like maybe even quirky, um, unique limited edition handles. And so you, you kind of like built that into your new knife campaign, which I thought was absolutely genius. Yeah. So the, the campaign it's, it's called the Lander EDC knife and it's our first knife from our own company, NAFS. Um, so we're having it manufactured overseas in China. Um, I don't know if you can hear the background. We, we live by an air force base. So if you hear rumbling, it is the sound of freedom. I apologize for that, but um, <laughs> that's great. Um, F-35 is going overhead right now. Um, anyway, the lander is basically, uh, a design that you, you remove four screws and the scales pop off and you can swap them out. And, and I saw a lot of success with this on my banter design from Wii and Civivi knives. Uh, people love these weird space kitties that I put on the sides of them. And, but the problem is you have to disassemble the entire knife. It's like, instead of like changing the paint on the outside of the car, you've got to like redo the entire engine to change something. And so when you disassemble a knife, it's not hard, but it is one of those things that like your blade centering might not go back together uh, the way it was before or things like that. So by doing these fast swap scales, it allows customization to happen super easily. And I'm not going to take credit for the idea. It's not mine. There are other people that have done this already. Um, But I wanted to bring it to the masses in a $58 knife. And that is perhaps the innovative side of what we're doing is we're hitting a price point where your average person can start to afford it instead of like a $150, $200 knife. Um, I can get you into a $58 knife with D2 steel, so an okay steel, and you can have fun with it. And that's kind of what I wanted. I'm not I'm not a $200, drop $200 on a knife kind of guy. I, I'm a cheap sucker. And so this kind of plays into my own sensibilities and, and people have responded to that. And I, I think one of my favorite parts about this is the storytelling. This is something that I actually hmm, believe right, in. Yep. It's something that I, like, I wanted to bring to market. And there's a lot of power in that. I think people can people get passionate about passion. And so when they see that you really are stoked about what you're making, they show up. And gratefully people have done that with, with the Lander Kickstarter and, and people are very excited about it. So yeah, do something that you're excited about. Yeah. So I think this is all really good. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on Kickstarter, but Kickstarter isn't, is an opportunity um, for you if you're inclined this way. And it's a good way to prove concept and see if the world uh, once what you think they might want. Um, ben, how about a couple of things just from your perspective, some takeaways from this that, that people can, you know, maybe decide on whether they want to do a side hustle, how to approach that, whatever you want to leave people with here. Yeah, I think my my recommendation is, again, if it, if it will get you out of bed at 5 a.m., do it and and play with it. And it's worth mentioning um, MVP, minimum viable product. Um, Mm, If you mm -hmm. can create something as a minimum viable product, for me, it was a poster. I dumped a hundred hours of design into the poster and then created it. And that was the launch of my business. 
did I spend $20,000 buying a machine? No, I didn't. Like that wasn't for me, that wasn't sustainable at the beginning. So I would say do something that will get you out of bed and then do it as an MVP, a minimum viable product. Like you don't need $100,000 of equipment to start doing what you what you want to do. Start with maybe maybe you can do it with $2,000 of equipment. So begin somewhere with something that you're passionate about and and don't necessarily buy the best and the the greatest begin with something simple and see if it makes money because at the end of the day like a side hustle that doesn't make money is a hobby and that's okay hobbies are wonderful but if you are in this whatever side hustle you choose to turn it into a revenue generating ordeal you've got to think about how do i make money off this if if it's just a hobby by all means have fun get into woodworking, get into app development. Like there's, you don't have to be revenue generating with a hobby, but if you want it to be a side hustle and eventually be a full, uh, full time something, you've got to think about revenue and how do you make money on it? Um, so there's, there's my hot takes. Ben, that was excellent. Really good. I love the minimum viable product. I, I wish I would have well, you know, hey, the MSK one, the MSK one did okay, but that was not Dude, that a minimum was a maximum. viable product. No, that, that was, was like a, that was a, that was an MVP. It was a maximum viable product, David. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah. Anyway, oh, when you sent me over everything you wanted, hang on, I got a, I got a comment uh, here, yeah. David. When you okay. sent me over everything right. that you wanted to do, I was like, David. No, you can't. I won't let you. <laughs> because yeah, the whole it was sheath system, everything button. else. It was yes. crazy. It was a crazy. But thing. hey, it, yeah. it worked, and and that's how your brain made it happen, which is admirable and amazing. So, so Ben, uh, tell people how they can find your Kickstarter. Uh, anything else you want to you want to say about that, and then how can they uh, contact you and find your business? Definitely. You can find the Kickstarter. It runs for three more days on kickstarter.com. Look for Lander EDC Pocket Knife. You can find my business at nafs.com. That's K-N-A-F-S.com. And if you want to follow my weird circus, uh, I am Ben Banters on Instagram, (laughs) Ben underscore Banters. And uh, it's a weird circus full of space kitties and uh, opinions and weird things. But I, I think it's enjoyable. I hear from a few people that they enjoy it, but that's where you can find me. All right, everyone, before we head out of here, I'd like you to do three things to help us out and help others learn what they need to do now before a society-altering event or disaster strikes. First, pay it forward by sharing our family-friendly content with the ones you love directly and on social media. And please go give us a five-star rating and honest review wherever you listen to this podcast. Thank you for doing so. Second, go over to our mothership, ultimatesurvivaltips.com, and check it out. There's lots of free survival, bushcraft, and prepper content, like my weekly survival EMAG newsletter. Plus, you can jump into my tiny survival masterclass and grab some of my exclusive gear, like MSK1 knives, tiny survival, and first aid guides. And, and check this out, you can go over there and build your own pocket survival kit with my exclusive DIY Build-A-Kit app. And while you're there, don't forget to click on the podcast tab to get the show notes PDF with links to the things we discussed today. And one last thing, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, but it's not too late to add another layer of defense against a possible food crisis this year by adding a home freeze dryer to your preps. 
so you can start stockpiling your summer leftovers and garden produce and putting them away for up to 25 years. Just click on the freeze dryers tab at the top of our website at ultimatesurvivaltips.com to get free shipping on your own home freeze dryer and a ton of other bonuses today. Okay, everybody, I think that's about it. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show podcast. Until then, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.